Good morning. I'm sure you would all agree with me that it's a great thing to be at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel this morning. Thank you to everyone who's participated in the service this morning. What an outstanding time of music and worship we shared together. Thank you uh, to David for leading our service and the thoughts he has shared for our sound crew, for everyone who's involved. We do appreciate your service so very much. Our series this month is entitled Renewed Day by Day, and our theme verse comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, which says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. It's a, it's a fact. We've mentioned this for three weeks now. It's a fact. It's a biological, physiological fact that our bodies do waste away just a little bit each and every day. Some days more so than others. But Paul doesn't draw attention to this negative reality. He comes and lands on this beautiful positive statement that says, yet inwardly, spiritually, he says, we are being renewed day by day. How do we experience this kind of daily renewal that Paul is talking about? Well, using 2 Corinthians 4 as a springboard text, we're going to consider four responses to this question. We experience inward spiritual renewal each day through being engaged in meaningful ministry. That was week one. Last week we thought about the fact that we experience daily renewal when we're involved in sacrificial servanthood. This morning our focus will be on the fact that we are renewed each and every day if we are pursuing and acquiring necessary knowledge. And next week, Lord willing, we'll look ahead to consider the fact that we can experience daily renewal when we look to the future with expectant eyes. If you have a Bible with you today, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you are visiting this morning and perhaps aren't in the habit of uh, having a Bible in your hands, I always suggest to people, please don't be embarrassed at all, just to turn to the front of your Bible. There's an index. Like every textbook, there's an index there. It's broken down into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. We're focusing on the New Testament this morning. And you can find 2 Corinthians, which is maybe two-thirds of the way through your Bible, and find 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to follow with me today, first of all, to make sure that I'm not making this up. That's important. This is coming from God's Word. But you need to follow this morning and pay attention to what we find recorded here and see what the Lord has for us this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we read this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. But we have this treasure, Paul says, in jars of clay. The jars of clay is reference to our physical bodies, our earthen vessels, which eventually break down. Yet inside them, Paul says, we have this treasure. We have this treasure. Well, what is the treasure that Paul is speaking about here? Well, we go back to verse 6, and we find the answer. And again, it's important you have the text in front of you to see this. Here we read these words, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The treasure Paul is referring to here is is knowledge. In order to be renewed day by day, we need to discover and rediscover the treasure of knowledge. And even though our bodies decay daily, and that's kind of a negative, horrible thought, 
our hearts and our minds can be renewed daily through knowledge. Learning is a significant part of living. What are you currently learning? Just in a general sense to get into our topic this morning, what are you currently learning about? I've been challenged the last few weeks to learn some mathematics. I spend most of my day in the gym as a phys ed teacher, but I have a period or two a day, depending on the semester, to be in what we call a remedial room where I assist students who need help with their studies, who maybe don't do a great job focusing in a classroom. They maybe struggle in a classroom setting, so they get sent down to, to me, and uh, fortunately I have some other help in that room to work with them on a one-to-one deal. Well, I've had some students recently come down with some grade 11 trigonometry. Now, I have a partner in that room. She's a brilliant mathematician and scientist. Well, she's away on professional development for a couple of days. So now what? So you get kind of creative, but I've been challenged to think, I mean, I didn't even learn this stuff when I was supposed to 40 years ago. And so I've been challenged, you know, you should be able to figure this out. And so with some help from some other colleagues who I kind of invite down to the room, <laughs> and some really helpful websites, learnmath.com, things like that. I'm, I'm learning, really for the first time, some math. Well, that's good for me. That's good for me. And it's good for me to sort of experience what we tell the kids. Sir, when am I ever going to use this stuff? Well, you're right, you never probably will. But that's, I don't say that. But you're engaging your brain. That's good. You're stretching yourself intellectually. You're using your your mind. And and, and pursuing knowledge is renewed. And when I figure something out, like when I really figure something out, and so I've asked the teachers before you, tell me where you're going with this course because i got to do a little prep work here in case that kid shows up and my partner's not there, right? And when I learn and figure something out, I feel, I feel renewed. I feel, hey, I figured something out. And that's... That's kind of encouraging. How about you? What are you learning? Knowledge is exploding at such a rate, more than 2,000 pages a minute, that even Einstein couldn't keep up. In fact, if you read 24 hours a day from age 21 to 70 and retained everything you read, you would be one and a half million years behind when you finished. That's pretty awesome, right? You know where those statistics came from? What year? 1979. Think about what it is today. Think about the rate at which knowledge is being spewed into this world. All right? Are you, are, are you sort of on a trajectory where each day you want to learn something? Are you curious about life? That is a really important thing, to be curious. It leads to daily renewal. In For the Time Being, Pulitzer Prize-winning author Annie Dilliard writes, In Highland, New Guinea, now Papua New Guinea, a British district officer named James Taylor, not the musician, James Taylor, contacted a mountain village about 3,000 feet up whose tribe had never seen any trace of the outside world. Think about this. This was in the 1930s. We're going back a few years. He described the courage of one villager. One day on the airstrip that had been hacked out from the mountains near his village, this man, this villager, cut vines and lashed himself 
to the fuselage of Taylor's airplane shortly before it took off. He explained calmly to his loved ones that no matter what happened to him, he had to see where this thing came from. That's being curious. I've never seen a plane before, this man experienced. We've never seen anybody outside of our village, and he straps himself to the fuselage of the plane and says, I don't know where this thing came from, but I'm going home with it. Curious to find out where it came from and to learn what he could learn. To move this discussion further and get a little more specific this morning, what knowledge specifically should we be seeking to acquire? Well, again, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. We should be renewed daily by, notice what it says, the knowledge, well, the knowledge of what? Knowledge of math? No. Knowledge of literature? No. Knowledge of history? No. Knowledge of sports? Uh, no. The knowledge of what? The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you underline stuff in your Bible, take out a pen and underline that beautiful statement. We are to be and we should experience renewal daily when we are growing in our knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This, friends, is the title of this message this morning because this is necessary knowledge. Growing daily through intellectual stimulation is very important, but what is absolutely necessary is the knowledge of God's glory as found in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen to that? I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bible now as we sort of springboard from 2 Corinthians 4 to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. Again, go back to that index, the beginning of your Bible, and find the Gospel of John. If you're new to the Bible this morning, this, you know, people often say when... Dale, where do you start reading? Like, I, this, I'm interested to learn more about the Bible. Where do I start? Well, I'm going to pinpoint where I suggest you should start reading the Bible, and it's in the Gospel of John. Again, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book in the New Testament. We're going to read the first 14 verses this morning and focus some thoughts on verse 14. John chapter 1. I'm reading from the New International Version. And here's what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, speaking about Jesus Christ. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Again, speaking of Jesus. Yet to all who did not receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, speaking of Jesus coming to this world. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. As we grow in the necessary knowledge of God's glory as seen in the person of Jesus Christ, we will be renewed daily. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we have a beautiful description of Jesus Christ that reflects God's glory. We read that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Those are two wonderful characteristics, two wonderful attributes, two things that sometimes, I'll say, don't go together. Sometimes people who are brilliant aren't necessarily the most gracious. Right? Sometimes what they know is so far beyond what most of us can comprehend, it's easy to kind of become impatient with us underlings. My father-in-law was a brilliant guy, and nobody else knew anything. Right? And he would talk to you sometimes and explain it to you like you're in kindergarten, you know? And that's just the way he was. He wasn't being intentionally, you know, um, kind of arrogant, but his grasp of things as a surgeon was was so far beyond my understanding. I remember, I'm revealing a lot of intellectual weakness here this morning, but you have to understand, I went into a kinesiology phys ed degree never taking math or science. All right? The good Lord used football to get me into university. And once I got there, I went, oh, I wish I'd paid attention for the last five years, you know? I wish I would have taken some of it. I knew nothing. Nothing. And so the Lord put me on a new challenge. Dale, it's time you start getting that brain engaged. And so I would come home with physiological textbooks. And Sue, who I was going out with at the time, she was a kind of a math science girl. <laughs> Thank the good Lord. And her dad just had to be a surgeon. Even better. <laughs> and I would go home in this textbook and say, somebody's got to explain this stuff to me. Right? And so he would sort of patiently try and explain something that he learned a long time ago. Right? But it's sometimes difficult for somebody to be gracious who is full of truth, we'll say. Right? Here in Jesus Christ, we find these two beautiful attributes brought together. And unlike what we read in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, it says, you know, knowledge puffs up. It's kind of old language. You know, knowledge can kind of puff people up, make them feel really kind of cocky and arrogant. And, hey, you know what? I, I know a lot of stuff. And that's a wonderful thing to know stuff. But when that is combined with being gracious, wow, that's impressive. And that's impressive to me, Jesus is full of grace. What does that mean? Well, it means he's full of undeserved kindness for other people. The text also says that Jesus is full of truth, meaning he not only knew and verbalized the truth, but was truthful and sincere throughout his character. This is a beautiful description of Jesus Christ. And as we see and look and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we're understanding more and more and more about God's glory. You want to know more about God's glory, look at the person of Jesus Christ who was full of grace and truth. You ever know anybody that was full of grace and truth? I've been fortunate enough in my life to meet a lot of people. And I could spend a lot of time describing some of those people for you. I'll just do a, a, describe a couple to you this morning. One was 
thinking of those university years was my first, my university football coach, the head coach at the university I went to. He was a professional football player, he was a professional quarterback. He would have been in his 50s, seemed so much older then. <laughs> he would have been about my age, maybe older. But he had been, played in the CFL, he was a Canadian uh, quarterback actually, and played the position professionally. He was a PhD and a renowned national, international scholar on the history of sports in Canada, written all kinds of books, and he was a professor of that area at the university. He was in great shape. He was still a fabulous athlete, and he was the kindest, most gracious football coach I ever met. And when things didn't go well, he just had this calm, kind demeanor. He was the kind of guy, if you're walking across the campus among thousands of people, he would seek you out and ask you how things were going. And he just impressed me so much as somebody that was full, we'll say, of grace and truth. Another individual I remember, and I could talk about people in this room, I could talk, I just don't want to embarrass anybody, you know? <laughs> when Sue and I had just been married not too long her aunt and uncle didn't have kids and so they took us uh, to Bermuda they like to go to Bermuda so hey how about we'll take you to Bermuda okay and so they stayed at a resort some of you might be familiar with and it was a Christian sort of resort and so they had a serendipity hour every morning and they would have a Christian speaker speak so here you are beautiful Bermuda right beautiful beaches, pinky sand, beautiful ocean, golf courses everywhere, lots of tennis to be played. Dale, you going to come with me to serendipity? The uncle says. Seriously? You want me to go spend an hour sitting in a room? We've got this beautiful day, but then you realize, oh yeah, you're paying the way. Of course I'll go. Right? And so I went kind of begrudgingly, but you know what? I met a wonderful individual who was full of grace and truth. He was a reverend doctor, a PhD in theology, traveled the world speaking and lecturing at conferences and all the rest of it, and he was an outstanding speaker. And I was just glued to this guy as soon as he started to talk. And as the week went on, he, he really took an interest in, in us. He was actually born in Canada, now lived in the States, and traveled the world, and he was the most kind, gracious, down-to-earth guy, but man, did he know this book. Like, wow. We, it, it, somewhere he got my address. And I'll never, I still have it, believe it or not. This is 30 years ago. We came home from that holiday. Two weeks later, I get a postcard from somewhere around the world. I even forget where it was. And there in small print was like a page worth of just an... A, a postcard saying how great it was to share that week and so like wow it took the time to do it full of grace you get what I'm talking about as interesting as those people were and I could go on and on and on about people I know friend nobody is as full of grace and truth nobody is as such a perfect example of grace and truth as Jesus Christ how well do you know Jesus Christ he and he alone is full of of grace and truth. Where do you learn about Jesus Christ? Well, there it is. That's why we use this book every Sunday. 
That's why hopefully we're spending time reading it every day of the week, learning and growing in knowledge of what? Of God's glory as seen in the person, in the face of Jesus Christ. So if you're new to this book, if you're new to this faith, you need to be spending time every day in this book. And if you have a Bible that has red print in it, that red print in the New Testament, that red are the words ascribed to Jesus Christ that he spoke. And it's just really helpful to start reading the Gospel of John. And when you come across red lettering, if that happens to be in your Bible, those are words that Jesus spoke. That's a great place to get anchored and understand who Jesus is, what he did, and learn more and more about him and about God's glory. How much time do you spend in the Bible? This is going back to 2008, but this was a a Harris Initiative online poll of a whack of adults in the United States, and they revealed their top 10 favorite books. So here's our top 10 lesson this morning. We'll start at number 10, Catcher in the Rye. Number 9, Atlas Shrugged. Eight, Angels and Demons by Dan Brown, whatever. Seven, To Kill a Mockingbird. Six, The Da Vinci Codes. Five, The Stand. Four, Harry Potter. Three, The Lord of the Rings. Two, what's number two? Gone with the Wind. I should read that classic sometime too. I've got too much math to do right now. What is number one? The Bible. The Bible. It's still the world's bestseller. But the thing that concerns me, it's one thing to have a Bible or two or three, or in my case, before I came up this morning, and I have some things packed up, doing some work at our house. I had 15 Bibles on my bookshelf. 15. Now, they're all different translations and all that, but you can have all the Bibles in the world, but you can never read it, friends. You're not going to be growing in the knowledge of God's glory as seen in the person of Jesus Christ. How much time do you spend reading the good book and learning from the example of Jesus Christ? This knowledge of Jesus, Paul says it's an amazing treasure. Don't you love that word? That concept. This knowledge of Jesus is an amazing treasure. But also notice from 2 Corinthians 4, 7, so we're moving around here a little bit. So we've gone from 2 Corinthians 4 to the Gospel of John. Let's come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And notice verse 7, that not only is this knowledge of Jesus an amazing treasure, but it also says it's very powerful. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, this treasure of knowledge, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God. Love that word, power. This necessary knowledge of God's glory is found in Jesus is a powerful source of renewal. And here we have this contrast between these jars of clay, these, these human bodies that become frail, that, that do, it's hard language, a eh? waste away. That just sounds awful to say it. But, you know, break down just a little bit each day. We, that's contrasted with this daily spiritual renewal that we can experience through this powerful treasure, which is found in the knowledge of God's glory is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, we cannot ignore this necessary knowledge. We can't ignore it. Well, how is this knowledge of Jesus such a powerful treasure? The knowledge of Jesus is a powerful treasure because it saves us, it sustains us, and it supplies us with the perfect example of humanity. 
Let's take a few minutes and think about these things. First of all, the knowledge of Jesus is a powerful treasure because it saves us. The knowledge of Jesus leads us to the wonderful plan of salvation that God has made available to each and every one of us. Let me just read these words for you. Acts chapter 21, or sorry, Acts chapter 2 and verse 21 says this. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a great word, isn't it? Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is worth, sorry, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Paul wrote this in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And verse 15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says, Of whom I am the worst. The knowledge of Jesus is a powerful treasure because it saves us. Are you saved this morning? Do you understand that God loved you and me so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to come to this earth and to suffer the death that we remembered in communion. Jesus suffered a horrible death as reflected in these symbols of bread and wine so that we could experience salvation, so that we could be saved. God's economy requires shed blood for sin. And because of sin, we are by nature separated from God, a perfect, holy God. But He loves us so much, He sent His own Son. Think about that to come to this world who we've read about in John chapter 1 to eventually go to the cross and die and pay the price for your sin and for mine. The scriptures teach us, the knowledge of the scriptures is that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and on the third day he rose again. That's the knowledge of scriptures. Those are the facts, friends. Those are, those are the facts. But we need to understand that that didn't happen generically and universally. It happened for you. And it happened for me. And it's through faith that we accept those facts and believe them to save our own souls. Are you saved this morning? Isn't it a wonderful thing to use that word in the past tense, saved? But it might be. Not, I'm not sure how this is going to play. No, no. If you by faith have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, friend, this morning you are saved. And guess what? That is a tremendous source of daily renewal. <laughs> Isn't it? Doesn't matter what's going on in life, friends. I'm saved. According to this wonderful book. The knowledge of Jesus is a powerful treasure because it saves. Notice, secondly... The knowledge of Jesus is a powerful treasure because it sustains us. It first of all saves us. Secondly, it sustains us. To sustain means to uphold, to support, and to keep up. And if we come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this, this anchor passage, I love what Paul writes here. 
You see, when we consider the cost of our salvation and the perseverance of Jesus Christ to secure that salvation, we are sustained and strengthened to carry on regardless of the circumstances in our life. Look what Jesus experienced for me. And he he turned his face as a flint and he went to the cross knowing what was going to happen. He could have said, hey, forget this. He could have called 10,000 angels and said, forget this, and call the whole thing off. Had every right to do that. He's the Son of God. He's God himself. But he persevered through all of what that meant. Being falsely accused, being arrested, being beaten, being flogged. I mean, a crown of thorns put on his head and hung on a cross like a criminal. And he did all that because he loved you and he loved me. And he sustained all that plan of salvation all the way through. It was sustained all the way through. And so I put my circumstances and I contrast them with what Jesus did for me. And friends, there's daily renewal there. Oh yeah, I can can get going today. I can get out of this house today and get going and do whatever it is I need to do. Yeah, I'm struggling with this. Yes, there are circumstances, but I'm not defeated. Because remember, I'm saved. I'm going home. I'm going to be in eternity forever. So we put the context of life within that reality. We'll think more about that next week. But the knowledge of Jesus is a powerful treasure because it sustains us. And listen to these words where Paul articulates this in our our anchor passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're moving ahead now to verse 8. Let's read verse 7 again. But we have this treasure. Remember that in in our jars of clay. Well, what is that treasure? That is that knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to say, because of that, that wonderful knowledge and the power that comes from God's glory and knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ, verse 8 says, we are hard pressed on every side. That is true. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Don't you like that? This is like a halftime coach's talk to a football team that's getting destroyed, right? Boys, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. Yes, we're perplexed. I'm not sure what's going on here, but we're not in despair. Can you hear Vince Lombardi giving this chat? Yes, we are persecuted, but not abandoned. We, we're saved. <laughs> the good Lord's looking after us. We're not abandoned. Yeah, we're struck down. We feel struck down, but we're not destroyed. I love that passage. I love that passage because it communicates the reality of life sometimes, right, man? Sometimes you feel beaten up. But he says, even though we're beaten up, I'm sustained because of the powerful knowledge of Jesus Christ in my life. And I'm sustained. Yeah, I'm beaten up, but man, I'm not defeated. I'm not done. I'm answering the bell. I got another round to go tomorrow. I'm ready to go, right? And I just love the, the language that Paul uses to, con- to, to communicate to us that this, this knowledge of Jesus is a powerful treasure because it saves us. And secondly, it sustains us and allows us to sort of face each day regardless of the circumstances. I came across this illustration this week, and I'm going to share it with you. 
This is written by Miles McPherson, who wrote God in the Mirror, and it shares the story of a pastor of a very large church, obviously, and the pastor says, I walked out of my office one morning, and a guy I never met was just getting off the elevator. He was about six foot four and at least 250 pounds, and he wore cut-off jeans and a sweatshirt. His body was all tattooed up. We talked down the hall to, we talked uh, as we walked down the hall together and he told me he was going to his first ministry meeting and he was really nervous. I asked, "You nervous? <laughs> How come you're nervous?" Pastor Miles, he said, "You always encourage us to do something, so I feared I got to do something. I I want to serve the Lord." Well, since our church has over 100 outreach ministries, I asked him, "Well, What's the ministry you're joining this morning? It's the knitting ministry, he said. He added, well, actually, I I don't knit, I crochet. (laughs) Here's this huge guy who looks like he could play in the NFL, the National Football League, and he's nervous about joining a ministry that makes blankets and hats for hospitalized children. (laughs) Curious, I asked him, Where did you learn how to crochet? (laughs) I was in a well-known biker gang for 12 years and spent most of it in prison. And in prison, I learned how to crochet. (laughs) And I know that's one thing I can do for the Lord. (laughs) Just then, the lady who heads up the knitting ministry walked toward us said a quick hi to me, then asked the former biker, Are you Jim? She gave him a big grin and took his hand. I watched them go down the hall together. It may not seem like a unique ability to crochet, but when you package that with his life, the ripple effect can push countless others out of their comfort zones to be sustained, to step up and stand out the way God designed them to. Imagine if Jim was worrying about what others might think about him crocheting for Jesus. The knowledge of Jesus is a powerful treasure because it saves us, it sustains us, and thirdly, it supplies us with the perfect example of how we are to live our lives. Jesus represents perfect character and perfect conduct. And as we conclude this morning, let me just share a couple of statements from you that I could quote if I wasn't standing in front of you. So I'm going to read them. John chapter 13, verse 15, we find these words. Jesus said to his disciples, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Over in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, we read this statement that really has been resonating with me this week. Again, to many here, not all, but to to many here, a familiar statement. And if you're new, again, to this wonderful book, let me share these words that Jesus spoke to you. These would be words that you would find in red, if your Bible has red print, and I love them. Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, Jesus said, all you who are weary and who are burdened. Is that you this morning? Because I will give you rest. Isn't that a great statement? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you 
and learn of or learn from me. Jesus said, learn from me. Look at my life. Listen to my words. Look at my example. Friends, the, 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 this powerful treasure of the knowledge of Jesus supplies us with the perfect example of character and of conduct. Do you remember something we spoke about, I'm thinking, a couple of years ago? And I was sharing with you my, my love of the statement, what would Jesus do, right? So we see the, the bracelets, WWJD, that stands for a book that was written a long time ago, and the title was, What Would Jesus Do? And that's a wonderful concept, but remember I suggested to you that it's the wrong question? Anybody remember what the right question is? The wrong question really is, what would Jesus do? I suggested the right question is, what did Jesus do? You see, when we ask the question, what would Jesus do, it's kind of like we're not really sure. And we may not be sure because we don't know. But if we read the scriptures, spend time learning about Jesus Christ, growing in the knowledge of him, guess what? What did Jesus do? That now is a powerful tool to live my life in light of the example of Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you this morning to get into this beautiful, powerful treasure of knowledge. Generally, knowledge is good. Knowledge is powerful. Knowledge is helpful. Knowledge renews us in a general sense. But friends, specifically this morning, let me encourage you to grow in the knowledge of God's glory as found in the face, in the person of Jesus Christ. Even though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are renewed day by day by the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ, which is a powerful treasure that saves, sustains, and supplies us with the perfect example to live by. One final illustration, and we'll conclude. Paco Amodar, a pastor in Little Village in Chicago's west side, lives in a neighborhood rife with gang violence. He tells the following story about being invited to lead a prayer vigil for a young man who had been gunned down by a rival gang. When I arrived at the vigil, a large crowd of young people, including many known gang members, had already gathered around the sidewalk where I was supposed to pray. I wondered, what should I do? What should I say? I felt fearful and I felt inadequate. Yet I also knew that they all had gathered for this prayer vigil. So amid my fears, I prayed silently, Jesus, what do you want me to do here? As I looked out over the crowd, I realized most of these scary-looking gang members, they were really just kids, mostly in their mid or late teens, some in their early 20s. I was old enough to be their father. They had surely been told repeatedly by authority figures how wrong their actions were and how foolish all this gang activity was. But as I looked at these hurting teenagers, I wondered, what would Jesus say to these young people? And this is a guy who I believe studied the scriptures, who knew the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, what would you do here? What would you say? So I asked permission to speak from my heart. (laughs) Then I said, since most of you are half my age, I am the age of your fathers. Would you allow me to address you on behalf of your fathers? I know of you, you've heard plenty of times that this back and forth violence in our neighborhood is complete nonsense. 
You've been told how destructive gang behavior is. But today, today on behalf of your dads, I want to say to you what should have been said to you a long time ago. My son, my daughter, would you forgive me for not being there for when you were a little kid? Will you forgive me for not being there when you took your first steps? Will you forgive me for not being there to play catch with you when you were growing, when you were young? Will you forgive me for leaving you when you most needed me? As the words poured from my lips, I couldn't control myself. Tears ran freely down my cheeks. To my surprise, many of them started to weep with me. Something special happened in that moment. Following the gathering, they started to trust me even though I had no credibility in their world. I hadn't shared their life, but I had shared their pain. What did Jesus do? He shared our pain. He took our pain and he made it his own so that we could be saved, so that we could be sustained, so that we could be supplied with the greatest example of love and humanity the world has ever known. And I hope this thought will cause renewal in your heart and mind throughout this week. Let's pray. Father.